Hello, my rebels. Today I play for you, I, I talk about a few things. I talk about how Taiwan has protected itself from the virus, but most curiously, I go through a statement by Teresa Tam, that's Trudeau's hand-picked health officer, and her weird, weird explanation for why masks are actually bad for you. One of her reasons includes because you don't know how to use a mask. You just have to listen to it. It's quite something. I go through it. Anyways, can I invite you to become a premium subscriber? That means you get the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnews.com and join, um, we call it Rebel News Plus. It's eight bucks a month. You get the video version of this show plus a show from David Menzies and Sheila Gunn-Reed. Okay, here's the podcast. Tonight, who is Dr. Teresa Tam, Trudeau's public health officer? It's March 30th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Who is Dr. Teresa Tam? Trudeau's public health officer. She gives daily briefings on the pandemic. Donald Trump does the same thing every day in the U.S. too. He has his two experts speak, and then he speaks too. And sometimes Vice President Mike Pence, who Trump put in charge of quarterbacking the coronavirus response. Trump's daily press conferences often go on for a full hour. He takes very aggressive questions from a very hostile press corps. But he does it every single day. One of the things the U.S. media tries to do is ask, gotcha questions to Trump's medical advisors to see if they think Trump is ignoring their scientific advice, try and pull them apart. That's not really reporting. It's gotcha journalism. It's campaigning. It's being what I call the media party. It's acting like the Democrats. They really are. But Trump's up for it, I think. And so far, so are the doctors. I have never in that room had a situation where I said, scientifically, this is the right thing to do it, and they said, don't do it, or scientifically, this is the wrong thing to do, and they did it anyway. Then we get up and we present it to the president, and he asks a lot of questions. That's his nature. He's constantly asking you questions. And I never, in the multiple times that I've done that, where I said, for scientific reasons, we really should do this, that he hasn't said, let's do it. Or when he's decided not decided, when he suggests, why don't we do this? And I say, no, that's really not a good idea from a scientific standpoint. He has never overruled me. But here's the thing, that Dr. Anthony Fauci and the other doctor, Deborah Birx, they're advisors to Trump, but Trump is the decider, as is appropriate. Trump has many advisors, economists, military men, subject matter experts on anything. Each one of them knows more than Trump does about their given field, but it's Trump's job to balance that competing advice to use his vision of the nation and make the final decision. And whatever you think of Trump's decisions, it is clear they're his decisions. I don't think anyone alive would suggest that those two doctors or Mike Pence is the one calling the shots. Just for a tangent, compare that to Joe Biden, the presumptive Democrat nominee holed up in his house, trying to get through softball interviews without imploding. 
And in order to avoid that, those very high numbers, we have to do at least several things. One, we have to uh, depend on what the president's going to do right now. And first of all, he has to uh, tell, uh, uh, wait till the cases before anything happens. Look, the whole idea is he's got to get in place things that were shortages of. I, I suggested that we should have people in China at the outset of this event. And when, when it all started in Luhan province, and, uh, and in addition to that, uh, in addition to that, we have to uh, make sure that we uh, we are in a position that we are. Well, let me let me go to the second thing. I've spoken up. Yeah, pretty sure he's not in command over there or anywhere. But what about us here in Canada? Dr. Tam gives the briefings and Trudeau isn't there. Trudeau could go there. He is at least on paper the prime minister. Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, has a case of coronavirus. He took the test, came up positive, which means he has it. So he's quarantining himself. It's tricky, but he's clearly still hands-on, and you can be sure he'll be back in action as soon as he's through it. Donald Trump took the coronavirus test, too, and it came back negative. He's not sick, so he's out there every day, leading. He went down to Virginia the other day when the U.S. Navy sent a massive hospital ship down to New York, It'll relieve regular patients from New York hospitals to make way for coronavirus patients. They're doing the same in Los Angeles, too, with another Navy hospital ship. So where's Trudeau? Well, he's still holed up at Rideau Cottage, which is the cute name for one of the three massive official residences that he's using. His cooks stay at 24 Sussex Drive. I'm not even kidding. That's where his meals are cooked. And then they're driven over to him at the 22-room Rideau Cottage. Trudeau's estranged wife, Sophie, lives in Harrington Lake, just across the river in Gatineau, Quebec, at another government residence. I'm not talking about where he's living, though. I don't care. I'm talking about the fact that he isn't leaving the house and going into work. He's just not. The media party's trying to make it a fun and humanizing moment, as if he's doing dad stuff at home, as if he's just like the rest of us, because they know he's not leading the pandemic battle. But the thing is, he doesn't have the virus. If he thought he did, he could immediately take a test like Trump and Johnson did. He didn't take the test. He doesn't have the symptoms. It's all very odd, don't you think? Why wouldn't he just take the test to prove he doesn't have it? No, it's not odd because the test would obviously have been negative. So he'd be expected to go into work and he's faking it and deliberately not availing himself of the test that would prove that he's faking it. And the daily press gaggle that would meet him at his cottage for a vague and brief chat every morning, well, they would never think to ask about it. I mean, just for a fun alternative universe, imagine if Trump and Trudeau could swap reporters for a moment. Trump would get all Trudeau's questions. How awesome are you? How bad are your enemies? How are you doing so well? And Trudeau would get Trump's questions. Do you have blood on your hands? That sort of thing. Do you think there is blood on the president's hands, considering the slow response? Yeah, what a laugh. Even funnier is that the two weeks self-isolation that Trudeau took, even though he doesn't have the virus, and he knew he doesn't, and he could have confirmed that in a moment that he didn't, even funnier is that those two weeks are up. In fact, I think we're almost at three weeks now, but he sort of likes it at home. The lazy, wake up whenever, do 15 minutes of work. I mean, the star, the Toronto star, says he's busy playing with Lego. They put that in their headline. Of course he is. Of course he is. He, 
He loves childish things, building sandcastles, doing fun yoga poses, wearing costumes. He's Peter Pan. Seriously, in the middle of the pandemic, in the lockdown, he actually tweeted that everyone should turn off their power for an hour, for Earth Hour. He's an unserious man in serious times. First Corinthians says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Yeah, not our man-child prime minister. So what about the woman who's filling his role then, Teresa Tam? She's smart, obviously, an accomplished doctor, born in Hong Kong. I don't know her China politics, but hopefully being a Hong Kong person makes her a bit skeptical of communist China itself. But what has she done? How has she done? Well, recall the very first public utterance she made was pure Trudeau liberal politics two months ago when people were starting to get scared, when people were starting to worry, when terrifying images like these were coming out of China. What did Dr. Tam do? Did she roll out a plan? Two months ago, Trump put together a pandemic response team. He banned flights from China, China back in January, and most of them at least. What was the first real thing Dr. Tam said? I am concerned about the growing number of reports of racism and stigmatizing comments on social media directed to people of Chinese and Asian descent related to the virus. By the way, that's not medical advice. It's not health advice. That's political advice. But more precisely, that's a political accusation. That's an attack. If you're worried about the virus, you're racist. There had actually been no evidence of anti-Chinese racism in all of Canada. This was a classic liberal move. Attack your potential critics first. Put them on the back foot first by implying that any criticism that they might have of Canada's non-preparation would be racist, so you better shut up. That approach worked on the open borders debate. No mainstream media, no conservative party politician dares to criticize our out-of-control border immigration because you'll be called a racist. This pandemic thrives on open borders, of course. So it was a natural fit. If you're worried about the pandemic, you're a racist. That was his very first statement. Funny thing, and the irony, is that it was Chinese Canadians who were the most scared at first because they had been following the Chinese epidemic the most closely. They're the ones who stayed away from the Chinese stores and malls. It wasn't racism. Chinese Canadians are not racist against Chinese malls in Canada. They were afraid of the virus. Theresa Tam had no advice other than shut up. Shut up, she explained. A perfect Trudeau fit. But she's a doctor, so she had a prescription. Look at this. She thought we needed to police our language. Racism, discrimination, and stigmatizing language are unacceptable and very hurtful. These actions create a divide of us versus them. Canada is a country built on the deep-rooted values of respect, diversity, and inclusion. End stigma. And look at that graphic. How to stop the spread of biases. Be careful of your language. Go to trusted websites like Trudeau's websites, of course. So that was how to stop the spread of biases. Yeah, sister, your job is to tell us how to stop the spread of viruses. And you didn't. Do you trust her? Well, to do what? To this day, flights still arrive directly from China to Canada every few hours. Today is actually the first day that I don't see a flight landing from China in Vancouver. The first day today. But look, I'm not racist. 
In fact, the opposite. If anyone knows how to handle Chinese viruses, it's Taiwan. Taiwan, or the Republic of China, as it's formally called, is a country of about 25 million people just across the Strait of Formosa from Communist China, also known as the People's Republic of China. Taiwan has its own ethnic history, but it's also where the anti-communist forces from the mainland fled after Mao Zedong's revolution. So Taiwan's always been at odds with communist China, even though it's very similar, similar language, ethnicity, culture. Both sides lay claim to the other part, actually. China, China has tried different approaches with Taiwan, sometimes a carrot, sometimes a stick. The carrot, of course, is economic. If you're a Taiwanese businessman, imagine having access to a market that's potentially 50 times bigger than your home market in your same language. The stick that China uses is occasionally threatening an invasion of Taiwan. Um, the stick doesn't work. In fact, when the whole world saw China's brutality in Hong Kong last year, that particularly scared the Taiwanese, and in fact, it absolutely was a factor in the re-election of Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, who specifically praised the Hong Kong democracy protesters. So yeah, they know more about China than most people do in Taiwan. And they know you can't trust communist China. The Taiwanese know. Yeah, that's not racism or bias. It's that they know the Communist Party of China is deceptive. They're wise to it because they live under its threat, just like this guy we encountered on the streets of Hong Kong last year. Donald Trump don't trust China. China is asshole. Well said. Anyways, because Taiwan and China are at odds, China often makes it a requirement of other countries and certainly other companies that they do weird things like not show Taiwan as an independent country on maps, like not have formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Did you know that Taiwan is not even allowed to have an embassy in Canada? They're allowed to have an economic and cultural office in Canada, but not to call it an embassy, not to call it an ambassador. Isn't that nuts? And here's a key point. China was kicked out of globalist institutions like the UN's World Health Organization, which sounds like a punishment. The whole country was deplatformed, marginalized, discredited. That's what China wanted. And that's what China got. But the funny thing is, because Taiwan was kicked out of the World Health Organization, it meant they had to build up their own National Health Command Center, and they learned to trust themselves and make up their own minds instead of the UN. And of course, they knew that the World Health Organization was malicious and pro-Chinese communist, so they couldn't be trusted. So instead of waiting for the China-run World Health Organization to warn them, they were on the lookout for themselves in Taiwan. Literally two, as of today, five people, excuse me, have died out of 25 million. That's it. That's still five tragedies, but more Taiwanese have been killed by lightning in the last few years than by this virus. Look at how this disgraceful Canadian public health official answered a question about Taiwan put to him by a Hong Kong reporter. Would the WHO consider Taiwan's membership? Hello? Would the, would the I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I couldn't hear your question. Okay, yeah, let me, let, let me, let me repeat the question. No, so, that's okay. Let, let's move to another one then. Right, because, because I'm, I'm actually curious on talking about Taiwan as well, on Taiwan's case. We decided to give Dr. Alward another call to follow up. And I just want to see if you can comment a bit on how Taiwan has done so far in terms of containing the virus. 
Well, we've, we've already talked about China. And, um, you know, when you look across all the different areas of, uh, of China, they've actually all done quite a good job. So with that, I'd like to thank you very much for inviting us to participate. And, uh, and good luck as you go forward with the battle in Hong Kong. Yeah, that's the weird, creepy World Health Organization. Never trust them. Taiwan knows not to trust them. But Dr. Theresa Tam follows the World Health Organization. So she hopped right into their mode, criticizing the virus as Chinese is racist. Shut up, she explained. And of course, Canada's health minister, whose occupation before she was appointed was that of a graphic designer, she said it was also racist to close the borders. Well, liberals always say that, but bizarrely, they started to say that that doesn't work to stop the virus. How could it not stop the virus? Well, again, shut up, she explained. Canadians think that we can stop this at the border, but what we see is a global pandemic, meaning that border measures actually are highly ineffective and in some cases can create harm. And we see that in some of the countries that have the worst expression, who had the tightest borders. If I point to our, our dear friends in Italy, in fact, they had, as you recall, some very early restrictions on international travel, in fact, shutting down borders. And what they found was an escalation of cases because, of course, borders don't stop travelers. And travelers find other ways into, into countries. And travelers become less honest about where they've come from, where they're traveling to, what their particular symptoms may be. So what do our public health experts say now? They didn't close the borders. They didn't close the airports. They didn't close Roxham Road. Until tens of thousands of people came in from foreign countries, including China. So what's their advice now? They say, don't use face masks. They say that. Why would they say that? Face masks are the number one tool for stopping the spread in Taiwan. It's how they keep their schools open. Face masks for everyone. They make a ton of them. They ration them weekly from pharmacies so there's not a stock out. It's a bit command and control for a free society, but it works, so there's that. Thing is, Trudeau shipped our stockpile of face masks to China in February. He just gave it to him, so we don't have any to ration, even though so obviously they work. They stop your breath from inadvertently spraying moist, virus-laden air on people and, and coughs on people. It protects you a bit from others, and it protects others a bit from you. Of course it does. If it didn't, why would dentists and doctors wear them? And I'm not even talking about the fancier kind, the N95 masks, as they're called. I'm talking about the super cheap paper cloth kinds. So listen to Dr. Tam talk about masks just this weekend. Our position right now is that put a mask on a, someone with symptoms if they should need essential services. Like if you have symptoms, you have to stay at home. You should, be, should not be wandering around the community. If you need to get to a medical facility, at that point in time, that mask might actually be useful because you're now have infectious droplets that you might um, send to others. But the key is to keep those that two meter distance. Um, masks um, have to be utilized appropriately too. Most people haven't learned how to use masks. So there's many practical aspects of this. So our advice right now is there is no need to use a mask for well people. Hang on, so put a mask on someone with symptoms. Okay, good idea. But the whole thing about this virus, why it's spreading so quickly, is that many people have no symptoms. They are asymptomatic, as they say, for up to two weeks after they get the virus. So they can seem very healthy, even though they're full of the virus, 
for up to two weeks. And, and while they're healthy, um, healthy looking, but they actually have the virus, they're breathing on everyone for two weeks. Of course, put a mask on if you have the symptoms. But the whole point is that many people are carrying the virus without symptoms. That's why Taiwan makes everyone wear masks all the time. And that line she said that people don't know how to wear masks. I mean, why not just go to your safe place and say only a racist would want to wear a mask? What a dumb thing to say people don't know how to wear masks. Masks work. Otherwise, why would nurses and doctors wear them? But what about people working in a grocery store? Surely they see more people in a day than a doctor does. Most restaurant drive throughs are working these days. Surely they see 100 people a day, maybe more. Why don't we give them masks and, frankly, ask the people going to the restaurants to wear masks? How, how can someone who says they're a doctor, who says they're a public health official, how can that person say masks don't work? Masks aren't necessary. People don't even know how to use masks. How can she say any of that with a straight face? Well, duh. Same way she called us racist for wanting to stop flights from China. She's not a doctor first. She's a Trudeau liberal first. And she knows her dumb-as-a-plank boss gave away all our masks. So if she were to speak the truth and say we need masks, people would say, well, okay, where are they? How can we get some? And it would make her boss, Trudeau, look bad. So she lies, as she always has. I mean, these people are politicians. Not just Trudeau and his cabinet, but the deep state. The RCMP are partisan now, as we've all learned after the SNC-Lavalin scandal. And our health authorities are partisan now, too, just like our CBC state broadcaster is partisan. They're not protecting you. They're protecting themselves by protecting Trudeau. Stay with us for more. I'm a reporter with uh, Rebel Media. Hey, Rebel Media. Yes. What part of New York? What brought you up here? What's that? To take uh, just to, well, I wanted to see if there was any extra border patrol due to the fact that the COVID-19 thing, Trump said that he was going to have like an extra presence here. And, you know, just there's some uh, Canadian reporters on the other side. Couldn't get too close. And they also didn't notice that there was too much of a difference with the, the presence there. I didn't want to, I'm not going to get you guys on tape. No. You know, matter of fact, you're going to turn it off right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is something people do. Just go home like everybody else. Essential travel. This is not essential. Oh, it's the COVID thing? Yeah. But you, if it wasn't, this would be fine. No, it still would be fine. We don't like people just to poke around here and they're aiding and abetting. Mm. People leave. People sometimes murder to the cabin, right? Kill somebody in New York City, skip in the camera, we never catch them. Mm. Right? You have a good day. You as well. Did you know that? According to that cop, someone commits murder in New York City and then skips into Canada through Roxham Road? <laughs> Judging by Justin Trudeau, they're all little lambs seeking refuge from the bad, bad world. You know, refugees from the United States. Well, that was Ryan Katsu Rivera, a reporter from New York who did a freelance project for us because had we sent a Canadian or rebel journalist down, well, he could have gotten into the States, but then there would have been a two-week quarantine when he came back. So Ryan did the job for us. What a great video. He actually produced two videos for us. 
You can find them in full in our YouTube page or elsewhere on our rebelnews.com page. But Ryan joins us now via Skype. Ryan, great to see you. Thanks very much for going on this special mission for us. No problem. I had a lot of fun doing it. It was, a, it was an adventure. Well, I really liked your style. You were really informal and calm. And even when the cops came, you didn't lose your cool. You were firm enough. Uh, you weren't rude, but you weren't submissive. You didn't run away right away. You said, hey, I have the right to be here. Um, those cops were on the American side, right? That's right. Yeah, they came right up the same way that I came up, like up Roxham Road. It was pretty cinematic when they when I saw them pulling up. There was like a dust trail behind them. And it's like this clearly, you know, a police vehicle coming towards me. I was like, I find, I'm being contacted because it was there was nobody there to even try to talk to before besides the duck calls that I got from the guys in that building. So, so what pretty probably happened, I'm that. guessing here, is that you were spotted by the Canadians just across the border in that white hut there. And right. they called for their American counterparts to come up and talk to you. I'm guessing that's what's happened because yeah. those Americans wouldn't have spotted you, right? No, no, there was no way. I didn't even see anybody like leading up to, I saw a couple of horses and stuff, but I don't even think there's any of the residents that would have, you know, called them. Uh, it had to have been them. Yeah. It had to have been the Canadian guys in that little building. Now, I'd seen... Uh, the images you showed us before, the no entry sign and uh, please don't come here sign, but also the contradictory message of the welcome hut where everyone gets processed. Can you confirm that there was no signage at all referring to the virus or quarantine? And I think we just saw there, there was no extra fencing whatsoever. There was nothing new there, visually speaking. No, no, there was nothing. I mean, I was looking around for something like even like a little piece of paper that's taped up and to see how extensive it is to, to get people notified about this whole thing. You can go to a Burger King or a CVS or whatever. It doesn't matter how, you know, like how small any business is a local liquor store that I visited later on that day. They had tape on the floor where you're supposed to stand and everywhere has like some sort of notice, but not the border between the United States and Canada. So yeah, it was pretty odd to not see that, to get away from it all, and that being the place to do it. When I called you up about a week ago, uh, it was clear to me that you, like every other American, had never heard that 50,000 people had claimed to be refugees from America going into Canada. I mean, it's a laughable thing that I'm a refugee from Andrew Cuomo's New York. There's no such thing. But we're suckers up here to say, oh, sure, come on in. And, I mean, it's been a real irritant for Canadians. You're an American, obviously. What do you think of the fact that 50,000 people have claimed to be refugees from New York walking into Canada? Well, that's a little hurtful. I mean, if <laughs> I didn't know America produced people that are under such duress that they would be, they would want to leave. And that's that's terrible because we used to be that shining light on the hill and now you know now we're creating such traumatic experiences for people that have sought refuge here that they have to keep they have to keep seeking refuge refuge terrible well, that one and, cop uh, said to a, you that 
uh, and I don't know if he was speaking hypothetically, like hypothetically someone could that somebody murder could kill Neil. somebody. And I mean, mm. it, it was a little ambiguous. Maybe he was just giving you a for instance, or maybe someone had actually done that. I don't know if we how we would even know. Well, I talked to that resident in my follow up video the day afterwards, and the resident that I spoke to said that there was someone who had left a car there and then just went across. There's been a car that's been abandoned there. He, he mentioned that, you know. So who knows what, I mean, if you're willing to leave a car that could be worth thousands of dollars just to flee America, you're probably there, fleeing so. something serious. Might not be their car that they're leaving. Oh, good you know? point. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, it's a very strange thing. And, um, you know, I know a lot of Americans chuckled when Donald Trump suggested four years ago, I think almost, that some illegals would self-deport. I mean, who on earth would voluntarily leave the United States to some other country if they weren't forced out? I guess 50,000 Americans did self-deport if they saw that as the lesser hassle. Maybe they saw Canada as the bigger sucker or richer welfare, mm. or that we wouldn't deport them because they've already been ordered deported from America, or maybe they've got some, they're wanted for some criminal offense in America and Canada didn't know about it. Like it's, it's sort of funny that 50,000 of the worst of the worst have indeed voluntarily left America without border agents having to kick them out. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, like you said, doing ICE's job for them. But is there a circumstance, it just got me thinking that if you needed some health care, that you go to Canada, you get this warm welcome, and then you get some health care. And then what is it like to sneak back in from from Canada to America? Is that possible? It, it's for health care and just a temporary visit to Canada. Yeah, that's a good point, especially in the age of the quarantine uh, if you walk across into Canada and say, I got the fever, maybe you're going straight to the front of the line for free health care. You go to the front of the line for health care in America, you could get a huge bill. You do that in Canada, it's, mm. it's sent to the taxpayer. Very interesting. Well, Ryan, I think you did a great job. You had a, just the right demeanor. And I know you do other things down there. You work with our friend Gavin McInnes. But I hope you're mm -hmm. up for future projects with us. I got so much good feedback from how you did. I like your style. And you've just... Fall, even though some, this story here was new to you and to all Americans, I thought you picked it up really fast and did a great job. Thanks. It was a great experience. Thank you for uh, keeping me in mind. Well, we sure will, Appreciate and hopefully that. we can have more freelance projects from you in the future. Thanks for uh, recapping everything with me today. Right on. Good talking right. to you, Ezra. Cheers. Well, there you have it, Ryan Cheers. Katsu Rivera. He works with our friend Gavin McInnes in New York, and he did a great job up there at Roxham Road. Hopefully, we'll have him for more projects. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. <laughs> on my monologue Friday about Trudeau's order in council to allow illegal immigrants with a fever into Canada, Theo writes, Let me get this straight. We are locked down with, more, with threats of more draconian measures but the immigrants keep streaming in even if they're sick? Well, specifically if they're sick. That's the specific exemption in the law. Everyone who is sick is banned from Canada, except those claiming to be refugees. Well, who wouldn't say they're a refugee then? Chris writes, this is unbelievable. Thank you to The Rebel for all your excellent journalism and hard work. 
I'm going to send this info to every Canadian I can. Well, thank you very much. You would think our media party would do the same, but gee whiz, they've got that bailout to think about, and times are tough, and why not just go with the flow? On my interview with Sheila Gunn-Reed on Trudeau's carbon tax, Paul writes, Pretty much all the climate change policies are making this much, much worse. That push for mass transit, mass migration, attacking the energy sector, banning single-use plastics, etc. Yeah, let's throw in a carbon tax hike as well. Have to pay for those future illegal liberal voters. Exactly, who's keeping this country going right now? Well, farmers and truckers, I think. That's exactly who this carbon tax is targeted at. You know who we haven't heard from a lot uh, in the last few weeks? And I don't think anyone seems to miss... As I said the other day, the gender studies professors and activists like that. Funny how they're not essential to us living in the pandemic. Thing is, ironically, they are all still getting paid by their universities while working men and women at restaurants and a million other places are being laid off. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.